Welcome to Twig222. We have Ethan. Hello. The blockchain Lord Levy in the house. <laughs> we have Laura. And we have Eric, Mr. Grouchy Seifert in the in the house. How am I? How, actually, wait, how am I the grouchy actually, Eric? You're you the grouchy. What, you Eric. Had, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, actually, you know what? Honestly, you have not been grouchy for a long time. I'm not a I'm grouchy guy. Kinda, I'm not a grouchy. You guy. are a grouchy guy, and That's... I miss it though a little bit. I like <laughs> I like the grouch. Bring it back. You know what I was? Um, it was just when you when you called Ethan the um, the the Web three Lord or whatever. I was thinking if I wanted to go all in and just be like attach my personality to like the the newest big thing, which is generative AI, yeah. I'd call myself <laughs> I'd call myself Eric A I R I C. Oh my oh, god! I'm not gonna oh. do that. I'm not gonna I, do that though. I, I'm not gonna do that. I actually have a Heaven generative. Uh, I'm I'm jumping on the thought fluencer bandwagon. I've got a generative AI article coming out in the first issue of Homa magazine sometime soon. So. Oh. Of course you do. Of mm-hmm. course you do. <laughs> Why am I not surprised? You know, um, <laughs> let's just let's just gra- grab onto the caboose. It's fun. Of the, the, the AI stuff. It's they're fun toys. They're but not quite ready for game time yet. But fun toys. Yeah. Well, sorry. We'll see. We'll see where it ends up. Um, all right. What do we got this week? Uh, you know, a lot of little stuff. Uh, some interesting, Wait, really you didn't, stuff. You, you didn't throw Laura. You you skipped over Laura. You were so busy. Nagging I said Laura. He mentioned me. I just didn't oh. get a fun nickname. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain danger in nicknaming any uh, <laughs> chairless, chairless Laura. Chairless and and tealess Laura. Chairless and tealess Laura. Thank the Lord. Right. No more slurping. <laughs> She's not allowed. She's been forbidden to ever have tea on the podcast ever again. <laughs> True. Or she'll be shunned, muted. All right, I've, I've captured our, our names. So we have Aiyric Seifert, Laura the Chairless <laughs> and Tealess, and Ethan Blockchain Lord Levy. And Cress, I, I don't know. I want to say that keeps coming to mind just, is Mice Nuts, but I don't think that's Just call me the master. All right, moving on. Here's what we got this week. Platika, no new games. I love this article. This guy, Eric, who is... No, not Eric. Sorry, what's his name? Damn Neil. it. Neil, Neil, Neil Long, who's writing for um, uh, game and game something something mobile uh, mobile game mobile, biz. That's his website. Mobile game biz is my new fucking hero, dude. This guy is outing Apple on a, on a regular, dude. So I, I I might get him on the podcast to like a tell all um, for an interview. This is the type of guy I want to interview. Um, Just remember his name because uh, he wrote and, and, right, and so he wrote this thing with about Blaytica, but he also wrote. Uh, this piece called I was an app store games editor. That's now, that's how I know Apple doesn't care about games. I've been talking about this for fucking years, right? <laughs> now this guy's coming clean about how crappy it is at the app store. But so I'm, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, Laura's going to talk about Rovio. Um, and uh, Ethan has a bunch of updates on EA, Deathloop, and Crunchyroll. Philip is out this week because he's out. Evidently, the mother trucker got. Got hurt surfing. Isn't he the youngest <laughs> no, person? He didn't even on the podcast. What? Isn't he the youngest? And he got hurt so, surfing. It, no, he got. I don't think he got hurt surfing. I think he is so sore from surfing. He can't be on the <laughs> podcast. Fucking old man, dude. And so uh, I'd love to hear him defend himself when he gets back on the podcast about that. But either he got sunburned or he got. But he's just sore from surfing. It's like. Ridiculous old man shit. All right. Yeah, to so me, anyway. surfing's hard. Surfing's very difficult. 
to be fair. I mean, it's not like surfing's not like going rollerblading or something. It's like full. It's like a full body extreme intense workout. No, I, and I, I'm not suggesting otherwise. What I'm suggesting is that there's no fucking reason not to be on the podcast. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't, I don't know and about could, too sort of talk. That seems extreme. I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't think right. I've ever been too and, sort of talk. <laughs> yeah, and he yeah, sits. Yeah. He has a chair, so it's not like he's standing. Yeah. yeah, he's living large in Hawaii, dude. Like, like first world problems, right? Get your ass on the podcast. Um. Anyway, whatever. All right. Uh, next week. Whoa. T minus one week. Until Deconstructor of Fun in Istanbul. Uh, hey, make sure you register so you can join. Listen to all the hijinks um, and actually some smart people. Uh, not me, of course. Um, and then also, what I've, do you got? I, you well, to- just on Istanbul, I got a, a preview of Javier's uh, talk. Uh, that guy knows how to put together a slide deck, but uh, it's it, I, that one's going to be a good one. I'll, I was trying to have him on for like a, a Istanbul preview, but I just, sorry, Javi, I don't, I don't have the time, but maybe we'll do a, a post Istanbul session to uh, share, share your knowledge wider than just the lucky people who are able to attend. I'd say that guy is the best presenter in the business that I've seen. Right. Anyway, like he was the best last year, um, even with his accent, which is, is, is relatively thick and sometimes hard to understand, but he presents so well and is, yeah, his deck is really good. I was, I was blown away. And actually the feedback um, was from, from the uh, audience said the exact same thing. So. He and I need to well, have a, uh, a, a product manager lecture off to see who is the best lecturer about free to play and live ops mechanics. <laughs> I challenge you, Javi. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. I, I do want to promote uh, for those not, uh, some may be coming to Istanbul and GDC, some only coming to GDC. Uh, just a, a reminder announced last week, the Exola game night, Tuesday night at GDC. It's a free party. It's a chill time, sober party, not a frat boy party. Uh, Mattel is a co-sponsor along with Exola and Deconstructor Fun. They're providing Hot Wheels, uh, Apples to Apples, uh, uh, Pictionary, all sorts of games, Uno, uh, a like super hot wheels track. Uh, it's, it'll be a really fun night. You can go to events.exola.com slash GDC game night to register. You do need a conference pass, um, to attend because it's an official conference event. And if you have a conference pass, you can come see me talk at the free to play summit. I'm doing two sessions on, uh, on Tuesday, but, uh, if you've been a listener and you're not part of the Slack community yet, join the Slack community, join the GDC 2023 channel. That's how you will find out about our super secret WhatsApp group <laughs> where, where we'll be coordinating for all the after hours parties. Uh, I'm probably going to do like a very casual pre GDC Sunday night, like pregame hangout, um, somewhere in San Francisco. So yeah. Uh, oh, dude, I'm there, man. Let's do this. Yeah, I, I, I can get a hall pass for for GDC. I think it's it's uh, going to be my uh, my 40th birthday, so I'll have my uh, unofficial oh, wow. 40th birthday party with all my internet friends. Come out; it'll be fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my lord! Oh, I'll um, be there. Just come, come, come turn from my internet friend to my real life friend at GDC. <laughs> I uh, I can't I can't make it. I don't know what my schedule is. Like, can't, <laughs> can't make it or won't make it. He's like, I've been uh, yeah, in a yeah, bar yeah. with Ethan before. Once you, is enough. Yeah. Interpret it however you like. <laughs> All right, moving moving on. Um, Hogwarts Legacy. 
12 million units, according to the company, has sold through, which is kind of in line a little bit above my expectations. Massive, massive game um, for Warner and and really good for the business as a whole. It's only on next gen right now, right? So that's actually a really big number for PlayStation, PS5 and uh, uh, Xbox uh, Series X. So really, really, really good uh, performance and great for Warner. Uh, we have a huge lineup coming out in the first half of this year with Final Fantasy, and um, we have the the Jedi game coming, uh, Resident Evil, um, and Diablo in June. Holy crap, dude! It, it, we we are stacked. Um, so all everything looks pretty good for the console space right now. Um, so uh, we shall see. Yeah, I just wanted to say on this one, it's it's not surprising. Um, that this is such a um, monster success um, for franchises and IPs. I think a lot about like, what is the core fantasy of the IP and whether the game fulfills it or not. So like, for example, with, with Pokemon, the core fantasy of Pokemon is that you're walking around a world filled with cute, magical monsters waiting for you to collect them so they can be your best friends. Right? So it's no surprise that then Pokemon go the first game to truly fulfill that fantasy uh, becomes one of the top grossing games of all time. Whereas you compare that to a game like Pokemon Unite, which is a Pokemon MOBA. And yes, Pokemon is about Pokemon fighting, but it's not really the core fantasy of the intellectual property. The fantasy is about being friends with cute magical monsters. Um, So uh, uh, why do I set that context, right? Like obviously, um, whatever you think of the uh, ongoing controversy uh, uh, involving its creator, uh, Harry Potter is an amazing franchise and intellectual property that connects with readers and viewers and players all around the world. Um, And you need to match a a franchise with its core fantasy to unlock its true potential. So with Harry Potter, we got, for example, Harry Potter Wizards Unite, which was a Harry Potter Pokemon Go. And that has nothing to do with the core fantasy uh, that you uh, of of a Harry Potter fan. So it's not a surprise that that game did not succeed um, the way that Pokemon Go did. But Hogwarts Legacy directly taps into the franchise, uh, into the core fantasy, right? The core fantasy is I'm a uh, I'm going to Wizard High School. Right. Like all those EA games, like they they did Quidditch games. They like tried to get battlers out like this is the game that finally fulfills the core fantasy, which is uh, uh, going to uh, Magic Kid High School. Uh, And so just uh, amazing success. Seems like a great game. I can't can't wait to play it. Yeah. And and the other thing I would say is that they executed on this fantasy almost flawlessly. Like, it is a really, truly amazing game. Like, I'm not playing it. I tried. I really tried, honestly. But my son is playing through the whole thing, and I've been watching him play. And, you know, I don't think executing on this type of fantasy, like the 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 the, the uh, a fan fantasy, is, is easy. And I think no. they did a really good job of doing that. And it cost them a gajillion dollars to do it. But they seem to be making their money back on this one. <laughs> so, Oh, I'm um, excited. Right. I just what? bought it. I'm one of those 12 million that just bought it. Nice. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. 
with cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Want to know how your results stack up against other gaming apps? Well, now you can. AppsFlyer, the industry leader in measurement and mobile analytics, just released a new tool providing benchmarks on 21 key growth metrics for over 20 categories in 25 markets for both iOS and Android. And it's available now for free at appsflyer.com benchmarks. Yes, you heard that correctly, completely free. In just one click, you can easily compare installs, retention, revenue, media cost, and much, much more. With these benchmarks, you'll be able to get intel on your competitors, set goals based on insights from the top 10% of mobile games, explore new markets and growth opportunities, inform soft launches, and understand market dynamics and trends so that you can adapt your UA strategy accordingly. Over the past seven years, AppsFlyer's industry data reports, trends, and insights have helped thousands of mobile app marketers to excel at their jobs and grow their apps. Trust them, they know their data. Head to appsflyer.com slash benchmarks now for more info. All right, Laura, what about Rovio? Right. What's going on um, over there? So there's a, there's a lot happening with Rovio right now. There is, there's, um, I feel like they're, they're staying very relevant in, in different ways. So there was um, a recent update that was actually on Twitter on February 21st that Rovio they made an announcement they were going, going to be removing the Rovio Classics Angry Birds from the Google Play Store. And I read this just alone. And then I realized there's actually a little, t- there's a whole timeline of, of events that led up to this moment. So I tried to summarize them um, so I could take everyone on the journey. Because even though I cover a lot of what's happening in the casual uh, casual market, I actually didn't realize all of, all of these were, were somewhat related. So quick summary, Angry Birds, um, the game we, we all remember as one of the, the original uh, mobile games, was launched in 2009. And, um, and then when I went back, the actual timeline, and this actually speaks to kind of, I think, how impressive Rovio is. Since 2009, since that original release, they've, they've actually launched on average about a game per year. With not saying all games were top top charts, but they managed to get some game out once per year, which is which is actually which is not an easy feat. Angry Birds 2, which is Rovio's one of Rovio's strongest games, um, the other being Dream Blast, launched in 2015. Around April 2009, um, the original game, so Angry Birds Classic, was removed from the App Store, as well as a few of other of the original games of the ones that that were go- that were launched. And this is where kind of the fans get uh, fans get riled up and the hashtag bring back 2012 campaign begins. And I, I don't know if either anyone here remembers this, but I actually completely missed this. So the fans are like, bring back the classic games. We love them so much. Um, Rovio then issues an apology through a letter in their blog post in June 2021. And they're basically say, citing that, you know, they, they want to make sure that they have great play- games for the players and they're just not able to operate you know live ops and the game as a service 
for the older games. And that's fair because a game that launched in 2009 just simply isn't going to be able to uh, technically hold up as we didn't know necessarily if this was going to happen in the market, that we would have all these live services and these games would be going on for years and years and years and needed to be updated. Um, Rovio then decided to re-release the game in uh, March 31st last year for 99 cents. Uh, and they, this was the original game, so the one that they took out of the App Store, the one that was launched in 2009. And they didn't add microtransactions, so a lot of the IAPs that we see, or ads. So, and this is where, this is kind of where it, it culminates is, now that original game that was re-released is being removed from Android completely, and it's being renamed on iOS as Red's First Flight. And this is because according to a follow-up discussion on Discord, Revio says the reasons due to the game's negative impact on the wider games portfolio. So how to just quick look um, at Data AI, and it's made uh, Red's First Flight, the re-released the, the re original version, looks like it's made about 900K since, uh, since its launch last year. Um, when it did go live, uh, downloads and revenue did seem to drop from Angry Birds 2, which is roughly, a, when I looked at it a while ago, at 40% of rev share once the classic was re-released. And the hypothesis is that high spenders, those that really love the game and love the franchise, were likely playing the original game again instead of Angry Birds 2 or spending, um, not spending in Angry Birds 2 or Angry Birds Dream Blocks for that matter, um, and, and playing the classic instead. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think it, it, uh, it um, given we're at a time when a lot of games, not just from Ovio, but from even Nintendo are kind of re-releasing their old their old classics. It's how do you how do you make sure that your the players that love your games initially um, you're re-bringing them back games in a way that makes them still relevant and supporting your business. Um, so and again, because it's coming at a time when you know Rovio is now entertaining um, options from buyers, so they definitely want to make sure that they're not cannibalizing their own business at all. Um, this was su a super interesting article, and it was it was nice to, it, for me. It was a good refresher of how you know how companies like Rovio and Zynga they released a ton of games, and I think that you know we're at a point now where we're not seeing as many game releases, especially in, in casual. Um, and it just it goes back to these are really these are these are impressive companies with really really smart people. I don't know if anyone had a had a look at this or any thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I wrote my thoughts in the in the Slack in the in the Deconstructor of Fun Slack. My my, I mean, I, I think I can understand why they're doing this. And, and we had this mm -hmm. issue when I was at Rovio, which was that the older games had so much more install history that they just uh, they just were ranked higher in the search results. And so, if you're coming in and you're searching for Angry Birds, you're going to see Angry Birds Classic, and you're not going to get to download the newer games that are ranked lower in the search results. My sense is this is this this. I don't, I don't know that this is the right approach. I mean, I'm, I'm at, you know, there's smart people there. I'm sure they've done the math. Um, you know, Phil, uh, you know, I, I wrote some thoughts on Twitter too, and, and, and Phil actually responded like, why don't they just keep it live and cross promote out of it? Well, we, we tried that. I mean, we tried that at, I mean, I built that system at, at Rovio. It, it didn't really work that well. There was a lot of loss um, because playing Angry Birds doesn't give you a whole lot of you know, con contextual relevance signal for what other games you might enjoy, right? Unless it was Angry Birds 2, right? Which is very similar. Um, my, the way I would play this, though, is I'd probably want to keep it live. I'd probably want to keep a legacy title that generates a lot of organic downloads live in this market, 
where it's really difficult to generate installs and just think of a, come up with a more creative way to move people around the portfolio. It, it's, it seems like that's a huge asset. I don't, I don't know that I'd want to, um, I'd want to undermine that asset. Was there any way they could add monetization? This is a stupid question. I know I'm before it, I even say it. it. It's, is there a way they could add monetization? It, to if only a, they could call it question. Angry Birds 2 and add. Right. That's how they <laughs> added monetization. No, but that, that, that's true. I mean, that's exactly how they added monetization to Angry Birds 1. They made Angry Birds 2. Like you can't. The thing is people will revolt. It's, it's, a, it's an optics issue. Like people get really angry. They tried doing that. They tried making classic free to play and it just didn't work. Okay. And, yeah. I mean. Go ahead. I also think just sorry, just just uh, playing out that idea. If you were going to take, let's just say you were going to ignore fans. If you were going to take the original game, I just it is. I imagine it's built on old tech, and going back and trying to retrofit anything into that into that code base would probably be more effort than it would be it would be worth. I think oh, I, I think you'd you'd be forced to rebuild it from scratch. But I think that's already happened. I think they already did that. Oh, they did. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, I think- I, it seems like a really good business decision, but but uh, but also like the way this article reads is like the the same type of frustration I was having the other week, where uh, Brian Brendan Sinclair, you know, from uh, Games Industry about Biz, doesn't think this is an indi- a, a business. You know, it's right. like dude, they're doing it for business sake, right? They've already come to these conclusions, you know. So it's like you can complain all you want, but that's what's happening because they need to promote their titles that make more money, you know, as a business. So, yeah. Yeah. There, 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 there are uncharitable takes on this that like it's, it's giving someone, someone wrote an article, Rovio gives fans the bird. <laughs> it's like, yeah. no, they're not, they're not giving you the middle finger. They're making a business decision. I mean, like, I don't know if it's the right one or not. I'm an outsider. I have no idea, but if they're, I, they're smart people there, I'm sure it's, I'm sure it is the best decision. So they're not, giving the finger to their fans they're 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 trying to support the business it, it's weird it's a weird take that like so yeah that the like as if the decision was emotional right your response to it might be emotional but the decision wasn't emotional right yeah yeah i mean i don't know i don't understand these people like they don't understand that games is a business but whatever okay uh moving on ethan all right. Uh, first, first uh, quick story I wanted to bring was that uh, Crunchyroll Games launched Street Fighter Duel, uh, which is a character collector RPG. Um, I think it just came out yesterday. So I follow uh, 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 Gacha Games uh, pretty closely, and especially character collector Gacha Games with Japanese roots. And uh, it, it, you might not know, there was a game, King of Fighters 98 Ultimate Match, that was an auto-battler, very similar to like AFK Arena um, at all. And it was one of those games that had a really strong franchise, King of Fighters, that was much bigger uh, in Asia than it is out here in the U.S. Um, you know, I think King of Fighters probably is more of like a cult classic here, as opposed to something like Street Fighter that's a, a massive uh, a mainstream uh, thing. Uh, IP, but King of Fighters 98 Ultimate Match was like a monster franchise. Uh, one of those games like um, uh, Fate Grand Order or uh, Monster Strike that you'll see like a billion dollar a year headline about. And then it comes out in the US and it does fine, but it doesn't really translate. Um, but a lot of the game mechanics translated really well. You'll see a lot of the same mechanics in something like AFK Arena. Um, which is uh, done well worldwide. Um, so I've only played Street Fighter Duel a little bit, but it's a very similar game. 
uh, Street Fighter based chibi character collector. It's an auto battler. It's got really slick UI and great sound design that's very evocative of the Street Fighter franchise. Um, and I think this one will be an interesting test uh, because on one hand, the character collector auto battle genre is pretty, um, there's just a lot of competition in it. There's there's a lot of uh, uh, games that have done this. You know, that ultimate match game is quite old at this point. Um, but we have the Street Fighter IP, which is a big IP, and we have Crunchyroll, which should have a lot of distribution advantage um, they've got a massive anime fan audience that they should be able to market to on social media and Discord and probably in apps. I, I would imagine that they have like a cross promotion from a Crunchyroll app that they should be able to advertise this game. So th- this will be a really interesting one to watch to see if um, these things can overcome the need for doing monster uh, paid UA uh, in the mobile marketplace, especially since there's not really been, uh, you know, there was like street fighter four a long time ago, but there hasn't been a strong street fighter presence on, on mobile. Um, all right. Second, second news story. Uh, no, no commentary on that. Uh, none, none. <laughs> Freaking anime. Right. Um, death loop has hit 5 million players. This was uh, uh, announced on Twitter the other day. If you know, uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm a big Arcane stan. Uh, so the success of this new single-player-focused IP warms my heart. Uh, I'm still hoping we get more Dishonored, but I'm not holding my breath. But uh, with 5 million players, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll get more Deathloop. Um, Eric's making faces. Wait, is this a total of 5 million? Total of 5 million players, yeah. I mean, the the tweet is, 5 million players, thank you for joining us on this adventure in Black Reef. So I don't know if this is sales or players, but it's it's a good number for new IP, single-player IP, right? It seems like more vanity metric because it probably didn't sell full price for more than, like, half of those units. Yeah. Ethan, what's the um, gameplay in it? So it's single-player what? immersive sim shooter so it's like in the same franchise as deus ex and prey and dishonored um i think the the best way to categorize these games is immersive sim um so it's a shooter um but it's it's got a lot of um kind of role-playing choose choose how you solve the puzzle of this level or, or this environment gameplay um, that's that's a little niche, but uh, uh, people like me love it. So, but between this and, and the recently announced twenty million Elden Ring sales, like there's still a market for single player experiences. Uh, uh, I'm doing my part. That I agree. I, I bought I bought both these games twice, uh, once on PlayStation and once on Steam Deck. So I'm doing my part to to keep single player alive. Yeah, I couldn't get into Elden Ring. I just didn't didn't grip me. Just uh, get get good, get good. Yeah, get get better, dude. Get better. <laughs> uh, last last quick news story, and this one's kind of a, a down note, but it's uh, a continuation of us talking about Apex Mobile and Battlefield Mobile shutting down. Uh, EA uh, fired uh, two hundred Apex Legends QA testers, so uh, Apex Mobile QA testers. So they had uh, Apex Legends, Apex Mobile QA in baton rouge and 200 people got surprise laid off all at once and like a surprise 
sudden meeting. Uh, not even supervisors knew. Uh, just a sudden axing of the whole um, Baton Rouge uh, uh, studio is what it sounds like. And uh, that sounds sudden and painful. And I'm really sorry to all those people who who got effective. And just, Jesus, 200 people testing. I mean, that's a lot of testers. Uh, it's probably like twice like as many test- people <laughs> as were on the game team. I know. That seems like a lot of testers for a mobile game. Right? Well, I think, no, I think this was both mobile and the the primary game so i think they're oh really it sounded from the article like they're shifting qa more to a worldwide kind of probably cheaper remote um testers and i see i I mean just like when when you have a live service game like this my experience has been is it's really advantageous to have testers in the philippines or kind of a similar time zone if your team is in the u.s because that means you can develop all day end the day with a build, Mm. wake up with your QA report that like, you know, if you've got somewhere that can staff two shifts um, before your team wakes up, you've had a lot of uh, eyeballs, not just bug filing, but bug regression before you wake up. And that's a pretty big advantage. So, you know, uh, unfortunately, when you've got hardworking English speaking and writing people in the Philippines, um, they can do this job in a really efficient way for, you know, team productivity that like if you end your day in California with a build, the people in Baton Rouge only have a couple hours head start on you unless they're working night overnight shifts. Yeah. Did you see that show Mythic Quest? I've watched oh, no. the first two seasons. <laughs> I, I, I watched the first it, it's really? fu- it's funny. I, I I enjoyed it, but what I appreciated about it was it probably had the best depiction of like the aesthetics of a game studio's office of any media I've ever seen. <laughs> Except for the QA people had like this really like lavishly uh, decorated and super uh, posh, right? And like that's never been, <laughs> like every every studio I've ever worked at it was like the QA section of the office was kind of nasty. Like it, yeah, the furniture the, was old. Yeah, the old days at EA, they were in the fucking closet, dude. They were like I, trying to find I, room for them anywhere. I've you know, been they were like in the smelly closet. Um. <laughs> <laughs> That's and it's just smelly because they pack too many pe- we too many people in a small small place. Oh, of course, dude, they're wor- and they're working like 12, 18 hour shifts. Yeah, you know, so yeah. there's 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 not a lot of hygiene going on. Right, you know? some some odor <laughs> issue. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> All right, moving on. Okay, our headline. My first headline is our uh, Neil, Neil Long, Long double feature today. It's yeah, a yeah, Neil Long yeah. love quest. Dude, this this guy is ranking, dude. He is ranking. Um, I actually reached out to him on LinkedIn, uh, thanking him for his uh, honest coverage of this shit. Finally, I've never even seen honest coverage on this. Um, so anyway, his his article was on in the Guardian. So I think he was just doing opinion piece for the Guardian on this in this case, but. He said, um, I was an Apple App Store games editor. That's how I know Apple doesn't care about games. <laughs> and so I was like, well, obviously, this, this title totally clickbaited me. So, so anyway, Neil was an editor on the App Store games for about seven years. Um, he was part of that transition team from the, when the store changed from like a real store to a fucking editorial store. Ironically, he was part of the problem, honestly. Well, he wasn't the reason that they started doing this, but he was actually the one that that actually executed on on the strategy of creating a editorial store as opposed to a fucking real store which made never made sense at the time for me anyway right so basically it was him and a bunch of people from IGN who 
who did the big redesign, basically destroyed all the advantages of featuring and it reduced organic traffic to about zero. You know, like it was like it was Herculean. Wait, no, that, that's not the right word. It was an absolute fiasco of epic proportions at the time, right? In terms of what they did to redesign the store, remove the rankings of gross rankings and all this other stuff. It just created a terrible store. Sorry, but that that's the background. He was part of that team. So there's a little bit of irony in this. Um, so, so this is how the article starts. He said he basically, um, it's been about 15 years since the launch of the App Store and Apple, and this is his words, Apple has proven again and again that it cares very little about games, though it is happy to make billions of dollars from them. Um, in the article, he talks about um, how indie indie games became mainstream in the store in the beginning. Rovio, Angry Birds, Flight Control, Doodle Jump, Jetpoint Joyride, all this other stuff. But then Apple started to drop the ball, according to him. Basically, has done nothing to evolve the ecosystem um, over the years. It's become a contemptuous landlord. It takes 30% of the cut um, while actively... And this is the most important part, actively harming the ecosystem with privacy policies. Amen, brother. Right. I mean, this is what we've been talking about for the last two years, you know. Um, and uh, and then he goes on to say the app store grew and grew. Free to play happened. Uh, you know, the reviewers were woefully understaffed. So they really allowed to do our arbitrary rejections. You know, ripoffs of Minecraft and Pokemon were allowed to come through because they just didn't have the staffing to actually. Um, sort the stuff out. And what he was basically saying is that Apple should have reinvested the money uh, to build a better app store, but it has not. Um, and the app store is an absolute confusing mess. Um, and then also making it much worse with the addition of ad slots for search, which I would like to hear your opinion on, Eric. Um, and then finally, like search is also terrible. Uh, you have to basically have the exact title to find titles. And as we all know, people could totally juice the system and 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 make people go to other games uh that have nothing to do with the game that they're that's out there um and what he thinks is and i think this is a little bit naive on his part he thinks that things are about to change when they when the government is going to come in and reduce the 30 percent take and maybe that'll push apple to make the app store better no it won't <laughs> no it won't i mean it's not gonna happen but well you know maybe you know wishful thinking i suppose all right so my take on this whole thing, look, I've been bitching about the App Store since 2017, you know, adding this editorial nonsense never made sense to me at all. Um, and, I, and I think Neil has a lot of this, a lot of this correct on his assessment, like he was there, so he knows, you know, the App Store is kind of an embarrassment, right? There are, you know, plenty of great digital platform storefronts out there. I mean, it's, this is not rocket science to build a digital platform. And what I think... My understanding is that the powers that be just wanted to make the store more friendly and not dominated by certain, you know, games. Um, so they added this editorial like layer onto the store, which makes no sense. I mean, who the fuck wants to learn the origin story to a game, you know? And I've said this before, but if you don't go to the gr grocery store and you're presented with the manufacturing process and the origin of the peanuts for your peanut butter, right? Like nobody wants that. It never made sense, right? I, I, it doesn't, none of that makes sense. Take all that shit out and make a store, right? That, I've been saying this forever. So I, it's anyway. So, uh, and ironically, as I said before, Neil was part of the crew that actually created the demise of the store to some degree, because he was part of the editorial team that was building all this bullshit in the store. Right. But anyway, I, I've been talking about this a million times. Um, 
and, and I just want to say, Apple execs don't care about games, right? They sell consumer devices. The only thing that games do is justify the obsolescence of their hardware in order to sell more phones, right? And that that's, it, they basically treat it as a means to an end, despite, you know, what these representatives from the App Store will, might might tell you. And and I and I actually further, you know, this this is my biggest complaint about Microsoft and Google and all these other people is that big tech don't really care about games either, right? You know, Facebook, for instance, destroyed Canvas overnight almost by instituting the thirty percent take rate and removing all the virality of games by removing the ability for them to promote them on on the main feed. You know, they basically destroyed the entire industry in a few months. You know, and and that's. And what's ironic is that the games is what actually built that network, right? So it's just, this is the way these guys think. They are thinking for, for their best interest. Um, and so games are a means to an end for these tech titans. And but just keep in mind when you start supporting this, blindly supporting this stupid acquisition of, of Microsoft Activision, which I don't think is going to happen. So anyway, I really am giving applauding Neil for actually exposing this type of thing, you know, Obviously, the people in the industry all know this, but it's not really said all that much. Um, and I and I do hope he continues to cover this stuff and 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 expose some of the atrocities that have been uh, done by Apple and others. Um, but you know, Apple is a hostile environment for publishers and game makers. You know, so you know it should be treated as such. And we'll and we'll see how it evolves going forward. And again, I hope he does expose more and more stuff on the store. Uh, any thoughts? Uh, I have anyway. some thoughts. Do you want to go first? I, 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 well, I, I think we know who the grouchy Eric is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, All right. These I, type of articles trigger me because I think I, I, I just, be, again, we've been talking about this for what? I mean, you could listen to the podcast three or four years ago. I mean, this is what I first got in trouble because I said exactly what he's saying right now, you know, four years later. Um, so anyway, I'm, yeah. Keep preaching. So my, my, I feel like, you know, games are – so if you look at the way games are treated in the App Store relative to basically every other category of app, games are really the only, um, the only media uh, category that has to pay the 30% fee that can't get around it, right? It, I, I've said this. I wrote a piece a couple uh, – maybe a year or so ago called the, the App Store is the Game Store. And it is because every other – category of content has a, some sort of carve out right or exemption that they can use to not pay the fee like netflix hasn't paid the fee for years right and 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 neither uh now does youtube like all the streaming services can get around it spotify right they can they can take their subscriptions on the web um it's it's uh, apple has done everything to preserve that 30% fee on games. And my sense is, and, and I've written about this, is like, okay, well, when the DMA goes into effect, Apple's just going to find a way to take a cut, just like they're doing in the Netherlands with dating apps, just like they're doing in South Korea. They're still going to take a cut. You're going to have to use their entitlements to process the IAPs, even if you do it off-platform, and they're still going to take a cut, right? Because they have, to, they have to maintain that stranglehold on the rake on gaming IAPs. And that's the only category of content that they strictly enforce that for. Right. I would say a couple other things. Right. With the, the App Store has an original sin. There's an original sin with the App Store, which is that when you buy marketing uh, or ads that lead to the App Store, there is no flow through context. Right. When you buy a web ad, you know, it clicks through and you see in the URL, like the source and all the campaign information. Apple forced developers to drop all that information when the user hits the App Store. 
right? And so they forced developers, if they wanted to run their apps like businesses, to go through all these clunky workarounds to try to do attribution, which was based on the on the UD idea first, and then the IDFA, right? They forced that. They created the uh, the the environment in which that had to be used, right? And then to come and sanctimoniously claim that you know ATT was all about privacy when, of course, all the restrictions don't apply to their own ad network. Um, it's it's just so phony and hypocritical, right? They created the need for the IDFA because they wouldn't let you just capture campaign context when you did the click into the app store, right? That's all they had to do was have that flow through data so that you could, on the other side of the install, know where the campaign click came from. That's all they had to do. So that's the original sin. But I would say one other thing is that they've showcased a a shocking lack of investment into the app store as a storefront. Imagine if the app store was as functional as Shopify is for merchants, right? Imagine if you had all these great A-B testing opportunities and, and product features, and you had all this analytics uh, functionality, which you don't have on the app store. App Store Connect uh, or iTunes Connect analytics are terrible. No one uses them, right? They're totally dysfunctional. Imagine if it was just as good as Shopify. If the app store for merchant analytics and A-B testing and all these other uh, all this other functionality, imagine if the app store was just as good as Shopify, right? It would be it, it, you, the, the amount of revenue, um, that the incremental revenue that would result from that would be tremendous. Apple has just underinvested into that and every game developer wants it. Or, or Game Center, dude. What the right. fuck? Dude, they totally dropped the ball on Game Center. That could be the thing that ties all games together. Like exactly. if they built out that, it could be a huge tool for everyone, just like Apple, Microsoft and Sony do with their their platforms, right? Yeah. Like, and, and instead, yeah. developers, indie developers, two, two person indie game companies have to come up with all this, all this uh, ancillary uh, uh, tool set to just facilitate simple things like, like ranking or, you know what I mean? Leaderboards, like all that stuff. Could chat, just, chat, like guild stuff, all the stuff, like community stuff. Like it's, a, it, it's, a, it's an embarrassment, an yeah, embarrassment. It's a, just to operate on as a game developer on the app store. You need to have backend as a service. You need to have all the social stuff that you have to, all the stuff is SaaS businesses that you have to pay, right? You have to have a backend, game backend as a service that you pay for. You have to have all the social tools that you pay for. You have to have attribution that you pay for. And then Apple's going to monetize your brand equity through search ads and going to let your competitor bid on the name of your game <laughs> for installs. Cress, you know what? I want to see, uh, I want to see you and um tim sweeney on a crest corner just 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 ripping on apple for like an hour just, really really just, against you should, it's well, like not even a conversation you just like everyone gets five minutes at a time and they just rant and then the, the timer stops and the other person starts <laughs> <laughs> I, I yeah i'm sure he's thought about this a lot but even more deeper than i have since he was like firsthand so yeah that would be interesting i i, I do want to get neil on the podcast uh as soon as possible and kind of walk through all these you know, his experience and stuff. So maybe I'll, I'll try to get that done. This episode is brought to you by Data AI. Yes, they were called App Annie back in the day, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how Data AI is the first company to combine consumer and market data with the power of artificial intelligence. And Data AI does this to unlock unique consumer and market insight to accelerate competitive advantages across all digital channels worldwide. What we here at Deconstructor Fund really like is Data AI's Game IQ tool. 
It's this fantastic market and competitive intelligence tool for mobile gaming that allows publishers to really get to the feature level of a game without doing a full-on deconstructing first. Using this tool, your team can quickly tie features to performance KPIs, which will help you make difficult roadmap decisions. It's also a great tool to identify hidden growth opportunities as you can analyze games on a scale. As you well know, there are hundreds of thousands of gaming apps in the App Store and thousands of new mobile games released each month. And while we don't want you to stop reading and listening to Deconstructor Fun, the fact is we can't cover it all. With Data AI, and especially their Game IQ tool, you'll be able to efficiently determine what features provide a lift, make roadmap decisions based on accurately modeled expected outcomes, discover how competitors lifted performance through feature releases, benchmark performance against your competitors, focus with confidence on the highest potential genre for a new game release. We here at Deconstructor Fun are huge fans of Data AI, so what are you waiting for? Go to Data AI and try the service for free. In today's global gaming marketplace, your players want to pay how they want, when they want, and where they want. Accepting localized forms of payments and keeping up with what's trending is key to growing your gaming business and to finding new untapped markets. That's where Exola Payments comes in. With just one simple integration, you'll be connected to over 700 localized preferred payment methods on a global scale, including bank cards, digital wallets, mobile payments, cash kiosks, gift cards, special offers, and more. Plus, with Exola acting as your merchant of record, they assume the risk of cost of complex VATs, sales taxes, laws, and regulations. Leave every transaction to the experts while you focus on retaining and expanding your audience. You can get started today. Just head over to exola.pro slash paystation or look for the link in the description of this episode. Exola Payments, it's what your gaming business needs to succeed. I would, I would just say one more thing about this because it's, you know, I... It, it's it's games are the foundation of the app store's revenue, right? And it's so bizarre to me that games are treated with such hostility by Apple because they built the app store. Games built the app store. That's what the whole business was started with and is continued to be sustained by. And so like, it would be very, very appreciated if like, even just as a gesture of goodwill to just throw us a bone with analytics or something. I, no, and, and okay, and this this is actually I'm doing this talk at Istanbul, so this is like a preview of what I'm going to talk about. Is like this is the problem is that like, well, the the fundamental um, uh, what's the right word? The the people at the top don't like games, right? This is the problem, right? It's not games are a means to an end, you know, and so like it's not like they have any affinity whatsoever, right? And so they built the platform, and that's why I bring up the Facebook thing, like. Basically, games built the Facebook, right? Fundamentally, right? But they they moved to advertising as a means of revenue, and they just dumped gaming like a bad habit, right? It was like a gateway drug for the consumer, and then they they found their real monetization method. And I can't blame Facebook, but you know, buyer beware. Like if you're going to be working with these tech giants, like they have other ideas in their heads about what to do, and it doesn't come from the people that you're interfacing with on a regular basis. It comes from the people at the top. The six people that run Apple are making these decisions arbitrarily and just shit rolls downhill, right? And so anyway, I get that, that's always been my point is like, like you have to understand it's shifting sands when you're dealing with these tech giants. They're, they have different different uh, business considerations that they're 
they're, they're contemplating. Um, so anyway, and it's not, it's never straightforward. So uh, that's why you stay with platforms that that have that you're mutually beneficial, right? That have you have your your uh, incentives are aligned, right? Microsoft, well, well, originally anyway, <laughs> Sony, you know, uh, even Steam, right? Like they're you know you have at least ins- aligned incentives, you know. So anyway, whatever. That's the whole my whole thing on it. All right. Speaking of which, I, let's see what Playtik is up to. <laughs> I, so someone literally just started hammering the wall uh, next next door to my office, and we've got like one minute. What should we save this for next week, or should I just try to machine gun it? This machine gun. It. Let's do it because right. I, I think it's a really important. Um, well, it ties into the just the conversation we just had. So the the headline is Playtika suspends new game launches until marketing landscape improves. It was also written by Neil Long. It's uh, published on MobileGamer.biz. So the the headline here is that Playtika announced uh, Q4 results. Um, Social Casino games revenue down 8.6% year over year. Slotomania revenue dropped 9%. Overall revenue was up 1.3% year over year, um, and then their guidance was was kind of soft. It it basically suggests you know basically flat growth for net for next year. Their their Q, their, their 2023 uh, full year guidance. So uh, the quote from the CFO is: While we saw that our new games received positive feedback from our players and achieved strong retention numbers, the marketing environment and increasing CPIs for new games made it challenging for us to scale these games profitably. In terms of the new game pipeline, we continue to develop great games throughout 2022 with great retention and monetization metrics. The big, the real big difference from years past was the cost of installations, and with the CPI going up so much, the math around return on investment just wasn't working. And so until that fundamentally changes, we don't believe it's prudent for us to invest significant dollars into new game development. So one quick <laughs> one quick comment here is uh, it's it'd be easy to it'd be easy to over uh, to overstate this. Playtika historically hadn't been releasing a lot of new games, right? So Playtika the the core franchise is generally pretty old. They've got a legacy. The core uh, sorry, the core, core social casino franchise is pretty old. Their legacy. They'd acquired a bunch of companies. They hadn't really been really. So it's not like they were, you know, uh, pursuing this strategy of just, you know, this blitz of new games all the time. Wooga, I think, was really the only portfolio company of theirs that was releasing a lot of new games. And they even said in the earnings that Wooga will probably continue to release new games. So I don't know that this is, it, this, this isn't a total deviation from the existing strategy. It's just they're putting a fine point on it. Right, but this is what anybody in the space would expect. This is what everyone is grappling with. They said the quiet part out loud. Most yes. companies are not, and I, I applaud yeah. them for doing that. I know uh, Eric, you've also applauded them for doing that. But this is the reality, and they're saying it out loud now. Yeah, I mean, you gotta love the honesty here, right? I mean, I, I actually like these guys. I, I talk with a few of them once in a while, right? But unlike unlike the rest of the publicly traded company like Zynga, Unity, App Loving which have been gaslighting us for two years about this bullshit, right? That everything's fine. We'll figure it out. We have really smart people that do UA. We have a network effect. We can build our own attribution. Bah, 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 bah. And even even like, sorry, I was going to give Eric a hard time. But anyway. <laughs> what were you going to give me a hard time about? I mean, well, even the notion of, uh, uh, what, what is your, 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 your catchphrase of building a, um, a moat or whatever the fuck? Content fortress, right? Like that strategy that didn't work either, right? Yeah, it did. Um, what are you talking about? Yes, it did. All right, moving on. But <laughs> it's a pretty extreme. But but 
But anyway, they've been all like gaslighting about about IDFA and its impact on the business. And finally, now we're at a point in which like, look, this is freaking obvious, right? The whole business, you cannot scale new games, right? So they're basically capitulating and say, we're not making new games, right? And I think you're right. They're, they're, they're not not making new games, but they are just basically saying that that's not part of their internal strategy. But what I would say, it's, it is, some of the reaction was, it was like a pretty extreme reaction from a publicly traded company, which I have to agree to some degree. They're basically saying they're kind of pulling um, pulling their entire pipeline of, of, of internal projects. It's kind of what I think they're trying to say, but I wasn't 100% sure, right? But like if they have internal creatives that are working on new games, like that would basically kind of eliminate their ability to actually do anything um, with the exception of Wooga and 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 their and the investments and acquisitions potentially. So I don't think that's a real good look for internally, but I, I don't really know. Um, but what? But from a Wall Street perspective, what I do know is it really question it gives a question about their long term growth potential, right? So it's kind of dead money if they have no things in development that are going to like fuel their growth going forward. Because again, they can't rely upon their existing products to to fuel like you know real growth because we all know that. Mobile is a leaky bucket, right? There people just churn out all the time. You can't acquire users profitably, and then you're not making new games to get new users. Then how are you actually going to grow over the long term? So that's why I, that's my only like real like that's a little bit scary on this from the Wall Street side. But I applaud their honesty on it, and um, and I'm glad that people are kind of calling out what's pretty obvious to most people is that IDFA has kind of messed up this business or changed it, you know, forever. Um, and so we'll see if uh, what, what what ends up happening with them and others. Well, the um, markets liked it. They had a they had a they had a uh, they gapped up on open after. Um, now nah, that's the, the short squeeze. Yeah, it was a short squeeze, and and it ended up like they basically were flat for the for the trading day. But well, no, um, they, but the next day they gapped up. But it's they're I mean they're still up. They're up. Okay, they're up on a five-day basis, but it, well, I think yeah. it's it's because the earnings they had an earnings beat, right? So the ARPU was way up, the revenue was basically flat for the year, but the ARPU was way up because and 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 you know it, if they're not going to be investing a lot, I mean, I you can understand like on a fundamentals basis, okay, well if you're not investing in new games, you're that's it, the long-term growth is is gone, but if if you're going to actually like take this opportunity to sort of like uh, cut a lot of expenses that you know were were the result of trying a lot of new games well then okay then the efficiency could improve but the, right, the question right, is like what, what's what's the long-term outlook if you obviously at some point if you never release another new game your growth is gonna you know decline or disappear right right that's that was my point really yeah. but uh, you know all the israelis are going to be in turkey next week so we'll, we'll be able to talk to them <laughs> you know, like they're they're all going to be there so uh um we'll get we'll get the real story and uh, see what i can share when i get back um uh yeah it's fascinating I like these guys. I, I actually really do like these guys. Um, all right. Next week, we are going to try to do a Deconstructor of Fun podcast uh, in Istanbul, but it's Laura and I, so we're going to have to you know, <laughs> grab people from the audience or something. Get <laughs> Come hobby. up. Think about something Get to hobby. say. Yeah. Hobby. Hobby. Okay. hobby. I, 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 we, have to, we, we might have to do Chris Petrovic again because he's like the go-to, right, um, to hear his sage words about the industry. Uh, you know, Fun Plus is in a, in a tough spot too, right? What the fuck are they going to do, right? All their games are basically high LTV, you know, high user acquisition arbitrage bullshit. Um, I mean, great games, but 
tough. But anyway, I, we'll, maybe we'll bring them on. But uh, look forward to it. And all of you got to listen to Nicholas and me rant about coaching. I did. That's the fourth version of Cress's Corner. Um, and 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 by the way, this is like the final thing, so no one's listening to this. But f you, Mister Mishka, saying that that Nicholas schooled me on on the interview. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. He's like all about clickbait. You, you know? know, Mishka didn't listen to the interview. There's no. no I way. know he didn't. <laughs> But that's why I'm giving him an he F-U. He what the content of this interview is. He's not listening to this right now. Right? I know. I, I know. But everyone else is listening. You tell him F-U from Eric, okay? <laughs> I think I think no one's listening at this point. Time to hang up. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. We'll see you, in, uh, see you in Istanbul. You did it. You made it to the end of the episode. As a fan of the show, it would help us out if you subscribe and leave us a review on the podcast service of your choice. More importantly, are you a member of the Deconstructor of Fun Slack group? If you have five years or more of games industry experience, go to deconstructoroffun.com slash slack and apply to join. Join the games industry's best professional community filled with peers always willing to lend a hand. Or subscribe to our newsletter to get all the latest insights from the Deconstructor of Fun content creators. Thanks for listening.